Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. The economic impacts of the coronavirus pandemic are starting to hit. This week, we dig into the government resources and money going out to help. Last week, 129,000 Arizona residents filed first-time claims for unemployment a nearly 46% increase over the week before, and more than 3,500% over the same week one month ago. Tucson labor attorney Barney Holtzman says during the pandemic in Arizona, there's no difference if your job loss is temporary or permanent. Under the governor's executive order, whether you've been furloughed or laid off, you're entitled to uninsurance benefits. The only important thing is that you're pay has been reduced or completely eliminated because of a COVID-19 related issue. However, Holtzman says that difference can matter when it comes to benefits like health insurance. A furloughed employee may still be eligible for benefits, uh, whereas a laid off employee may not be entitled to the health insurance benefits going forward. Either way, he says newly unemployed Arizonans should seek benefits immediately. The day after your job has ended and the last time you're going to be paid by your employer, you should apply immediately. The normal one-week waiting period for insurance, uh, unemployment insurance benefits has been waived under this new executive order. The federal government will be sending a one-time direct payment of $1,200 to most people in the next couple of weeks. Holtzman says along with unemployment insurance, he hopes an additional $600 per week federal benefit will help those who've lost their jobs make the downturn a bit easier to bear. The biggest monthly expense for most Arizonans is housing. With record unemployment, the state and federal governments have unleashed a number of programs aimed at helping people living paycheck to paycheck. But as Jake Steinberg reports, the assistance only scratches the surface. The cost of rent in Arizona was already one of the fastest growing in the nation. Then the pandemic arrived. In the last three weeks, over 250,000 Arizonans have filed for unemployment. Even with the federal stimulus check on the way, many renters are in a precarious spot. One strategy is to ease pressure on those expecting rent checks. Under the $2 trillion CARES Act, landlords with tenants who can't make rent can get a break on their mortgage payments, provided they don't evict people. But that only applies to loans backed by Freddie Mac or Fannie Mae. That means it's only available to half of the members of the Arizona Multi-Housing Association, which represents landlords and apartment owners. Here's CEO Courtney Gilstrap-Levinas. For roughly the other 50%, right now they're working with their banks and hoping for the best and hoping that they can potentially delay principal or interest payments. It's up to individual lenders whether to give property owners a break on their payments. The second strategy is to keep renters from ending up on the street. Governor Ducey has put a pause on evictions. Yesterday I signed an executive order to delay the enforcement of eviction action orders for renters who are quarantining or facing economic hardship. The key word there is delay. The order is not a moratorium on evictions. A landlord could still begin proceedings and get a judgment. It just wouldn't be enforced until late July. 
The eviction delay only applies to people who can provide documentation that their loss of income was due to COVID-19. In most cases, renters still need to pay rent. That's where the third strategy comes in. The state launched a $5 million rental assistance fund last week, run by the Arizona Department of Housing. According to a department spokesperson, over 5,000 people have already applied. Applicants still need to put 30% of whatever income they have left toward rent and reapply each month. But tenant advocates and landlords say there isn't enough money in the fund to meet the need, especially if the pandemic drags into summer. The only people who can't get evicted at all are those living in federally subsidized housing. But nonprofit organizations that operate those housing units also aren't immune from the economic impacts of the virus. Compass Housing runs 250 affordable units in Tucson. CEO Marianne Beerling says most of their rent income has dried up as people have lost their jobs. So for folks who are renting our units, we're going to take the hit financially. So we're really relying on donations uh, to come in basically to help people pay their rent. She says Compass won't evict, but still has to pay utilities, property tax, and other costs. She says she's unsure how long Compass can keep subsidizing its tenants without rental income. For The Buzz, I'm Jake Steinberg. For those who own their home, Governor Ducey has worked out a deal with the state's largest banks to suspend foreclosures for at least 60 days. But housing experts say that's when problems for homeowners could be just beginning. The virus could also apply pressure to Arizona's already tight housing market. State officials recommend tenants and homeowners contact their landlords or lenders if they won't be able to make a payment. The pandemic is shining a light on vulnerable communities, including Tucsonans who already faced financial insecurity. One expert says social networks are crucial instruments of resilience. Nick O'Gara talked with Brian Mayer, an associate professor in the School of Sociology at the University of Arizona. For the last five years, he's been running something called the Tucson Poverty Project. The project is actually an undergraduate class of about 50 students who go out and knock on doors in low-income neighborhoods of Tucson, asking people a set of questions. Do you have enough to get by? What sort of fiscal challenges are you encountering? Uh, What types of coping mechanisms are you able to make use of? Are you working second jobs? Uh, Are you sitting kids in your house? Um, What strategies are you utilizing and how can we help you do better? Mayor says many Tucsonans were already struggling well before the pandemic. The 2010 census showed it was one of the 10 poorest cities in the country. Mayor says the rise in evictions and housing costs have contributed to that instability. So people are living in more precarious financially and sort of less healthy, less satisfying housing situations. He says a telling indicator comes from one of the main questions they ask, which is, if you had to, how would you come up with $500 in a given month to pay for an emergency? 95% of people would just say, I could not. Uh, the folks that could would say, you know, maybe I could borrow from my family or maybe I could pawn something or donate plasma. But the immediate response is no. Now, with the massive loss of jobs and other economic fallout from the coronavirus beginning to hit, Mayor says some in Tucson are particularly vulnerable. And so if you think about the folks, the households in Tucson that have a reserve of funds to deal with unemployment, to deal with suddenly having to homeschool, to deal with sort of increasingly expensive groceries, 
I would say we're very highly vulnerable uh, to a crisis like this pandemic in terms of people's financial reserves and being able to cope. Mayer also studies resilience in individuals and communities, how they withstand shock and how they bounce back. He says social networks are central to this. The term social isolation really, really concerns me. There's been a great op-ed by some sociologists at UCLA who have really cautioned us to use the term physical distancing. We shouldn't be socially isolating ourselves, particularly here in Tucson, where we have a large population of elderly folks on fixed income that are living already in social isolation prior to the pandemic. How are they able to get groceries? How are they able to get a ride to the doctor's office? How are they able to access the necessities of basic life? And I think that is going to be where our greatest vulnerability is. Mayor says while Tucson has nonprofits working to help these communities, such as Meals on Wheels and the Food Bank, those resources could be stretched as the pandemic continues. And according to Poverty Project data, 70 to 80 percent of folks living in poverty say they've never utilized a nonprofit or charitable service. So if we say, well, people experiencing food insecurity can just go to the food bank, that's not the right answer. Um, The food bank is doing a great job of advertising their services, their hours, how to utilize them. But there's going to be a subpopulation of folks that just cannot do that. And so what we have to figure out how to do better, whether or not we're in a pandemic or not, is how to deliver that level level of flexible services that sort of identifies in real time where needs are occurring, uh, geographically particularly, uh, and be able to get in there and help. He says he's also concerned about implications to mental health from the loss of social connections. And so you already have a vulnerable population, both financially, food, probably in terms of physical health, and now we're going to be adding on another layer of mental health challenges that are going to be with us for a long time. And of course, addressing the pandemic is immediate need and should definitely be the priority. But I think that the city, the county, the state also needs to be preparing for a wave of mental health disorders that we're going to see greatly exacerbated uh, in the future. That's why he says social networks are central to the idea of resilience. Well, I mean, we can think about social networks as sort of these routes that resources can find us, right? So being resilient to a crisis like this involves both sort of our community's capacity to be resilient, right? What aid is out there? What resources are available to us? What policies can protect us from evictions or from unemployment? Um, But we also have to be able as individuals to navigate that system and access those. Mayor says we should be looking for ways to supplement people's networks while we protect ourselves from the physical transmission of the virus. For The Buzz, I'm Nick O'Gara. The necessary stay-at-home and social distancing measures put in place to slow the spread of the novel coronavirus have already led to record job losses and unemployment filings. But the government is sending financial relief through several channels to help Americans and the overall economy. The CARES Act, passed by Congress and signed by the President, contained more than $2 trillion to keep Americans financially afloat during the coronavirus pandemic. One of the first tools is simply giving people cash. Many Americans can expect direct payments from the federal government soon. The amount people will receive is based on their adjusted gross income reported on their 2019 or 2018 tax return. Individuals who made $75,000 or less will receive $1,200. 
Married couples who filed jointly and made less than $150,000 will receive $2,400. Anyone who made more than that may still be eligible for smaller payments. People will also receive an additional $500 for any dependent under the age of 17. For most taxpayers, there's nothing you have to do to receive the check. It will simply appear in your account via direct deposit. The Treasury also plans to develop a web portal for individuals to provide their banking information to the IRS online. Those on Social Security who don't normally file a tax return will also automatically qualify. But you must have a valid Social Security number to qualify. Anyone who was claimed as a dependent will not receive their own payment, even those who file their own taxes. The payments are expected to go out starting in mid-April. Another main component of the government relief under the CARES Act is aimed at business. One of the most popular programs is the Payroll Protection Plan, or PPP. Those are loans from the Small Business Administration that let a business receive up to two and a half times their annual payroll costs, and the loan is forgivable if 75% or more of it is used to cover the cost of keeping employees on the payroll during the pandemic. During a recent town hall, Arizona Senator Martha McSally encouraged businesses to apply. Our intent with this provision is to keep employees connected to employers as much as possible. And our hope is that many businesses we've heard from have already laid off or furloughed their employees. They have no revenue or little revenue coming in. I understand that. I mean, it's, it's, it's the, the dynamics of what's happening. But we really would like to have them bring them back on, bring them back on as employees, bring them back on the payroll. Exo Coffee in Tucson is one of the companies that applied for the payroll protection. Amy Smith, one of the owners, says applying for the program made sense. We know that we can only operate for so much time before we have to uh, let people go uh, and sort of close up the shop for at least a temporary period. But it hasn't been smooth sailing. The $359 billion program was immediately overwhelmed when banks began making the loans a week ago. Smith was there the first day the loans were available. She called the process Byzantine. Then she corrected herself. Byzantine is a too, a too kind of a term uh, because it's really, Byzantine sort of connotes, I think, that there's many steps and there's lots of you know, tunnels and paths. And uh, really, it has been like just sort of screaming into the void. They went to their bank last Friday when the loans were supposed to open, but the bank wasn't ready. So they came back Monday morning only to find out the bank had made all the loans it planned on. Amy wouldn't say which bank it was, only saying it's a big bank. With the help of some loyal customers, they were able to get into a small local bank this week, which has been able to help out. Now they must wait, with no idea if or when they'll get the loan. The story of Exo Coffee is not unique. Rio Nuevo is helping businesses like Exo work through the application process. This is a complete mess, to be honest with you. That's Dan Myers, Rio Nuevo's chief financial officer. He says working with the banks is difficult. Most banks are not accepting new customers. One bank, for sure, you have to have a checking account and a loan account with them. Uh, one bank says you cannot 
have accounts with any bank other than ours. Uh, so we're finding all kinds of interesting scenarios where it's going to be difficult for some of these people to, to get access. Most of the people coming to Rio Nuevo for help have a simple question. Where do we start? Myers says the answer is simple. First go to a bank, not the federal government, and then it's paperwork and records. Each bank seems to have a checklist of things they need to provide them, mostly compensation related, and they're going to have to prove that they actually need this money. Rio Nuevo is not the only group helping businesses navigate the application process. The Arizona Regional Economic Development Foundation is sponsoring online question-and-answer sessions. Mignon Hollis, the group's executive director, says there's an important question for anyone applying for the SBA loans. Should you get approved, can you take on more debt? Hollis acknowledges the problems, but she says it's not all bad. The good thing is, is the government moved very quickly on it, right? I mean, within a few days, they had the SBA was set up, ready to go. Well, the banks weren't, and they hadn't sorted out the details. So it's taking, it's, and I think it's, this is kind of the first time, right, where government is ahead a step than industry. The popularity of the program showed the government it needs changes and more money. Congress is working on a proposal that would add hundreds of millions of additional dollars to the payroll protection plan. Congressman Raul Grijalva says he hopes there's also some tweaking. We have to look at those smaller businesses and the outreach by SBA, which we're encouraging, is to those smaller businesses that don't have this lengthy or historic business relationship with a major lending institution that are having to wait well uh, ongoing customers of those banks get the first crack at it. That, I think that needs to be changed. For local businesses, congressional action may be a lifesaver. But during the pandemic, they have to evaluate their finances on a week-to-week or day-to-day basis. For Amy Smith at Exo Coffee, those calculations mean lots of planning whether or not the loans come through. Really, a month is kind of what we're... we're I mean, like I said, we're taking it week-to-week, but I think we're thinking about a month... And then maybe if we get this paycheck protection, taking a little hiatus, especially when the modeling suggests that the peak will be in May or mid-May. And so really trying to, you know, close at that point. The CARES Act also includes billions of dollars for the more than 500 federally recognized tribes throughout the United States. As Emma Gibson reports, that money is desperately needed by tribes who are seeing COVID-19 cases rise quickly and lack robust medical services. Across Arizona, tribal governments have taken increasingly strict measures to slow the spread of COVID-19. In some communities, there have been only a few confirmed cases. In others, there are already hundreds. Dante Desiderio is the executive director of the Native American Finance Officers Association. He's working with tribal leaders to get their voices heard in Congress. This is a perfect storm for tribes, so we have to be prepared on the health risk because that's elevated for tribes. And then we also have to look at how we're dealing with all the economic damage. He says these federal funds are vital to tribal governments because they don't have a tax base to rely on for essential services like states. Many sources of tribal revenue, like casinos, were closed to slow the spread of COVID-19. We need the federal monies to start um, coming in to be able to, to help our people because the economic money is drying up 
and we're going to need more resources to really combat this in tribal communities that are at a higher risk. The CARES Act will send $8 billion to tribal governments, but it's still unclear how the Secretary of the Interior will divvy up the funds. For now, tribal governments have to show losses in revenue and additional costs due to the pandemic. Chairman of the Pasquayaki tribe, Robert Valencia, said in an interview March 26th, he's thankful for the help. He says he expects the tribe to lose millions in revenue over the course of the pandemic. The funding that may be available is going to be a godsend to us because we really can't afford to do everything that's going to be required. It's really difficult for us. So far, tribes don't know how much money they'll receive or when they'll get it. But the Bureau of Indian Affairs says the funds will be dispersed by April 26. Due to trust and treaty obligations, the federal government is responsible for providing federally recognized tribes with health care through Indian Health Services. Another $2 billion will go towards emergency funding for IHS and other federal Indian programs. IHS will use its share to buy things like much-needed tests, personal protective gear, and medical equipment. It is also supporting other projects, like urban Indian health. The chairwoman of the White Mountain Apache tribe, Gwendina Lee Gatewood, said in an interview last week that first responders are telling her they need more personal protective equipment. As of Saturday, a handful of tribal members had tested positive for the virus. Lee Gatewood says the tribe's IHS facility is preparing for more cases. There's a giant tent outside. That's kind of like a a would-be mass unit should it get that far. They're ready. They're just waiting. She, like the chairman of the Pasquayaki tribe, says the CARES Act is a relief and a chance for her tribe to regain some of its recent losses. For The Buzz, I'm Emma Gibson. On the local level, resources to help residents and businesses get access to help with rent, utilities, and even short-term employment are also available. Arnold Palacios, the Community Services Director for Pima County, talked with Tony Paniagua about how the county has stepped up services to help during the COVID-19 pandemic. We've set up a website that is, uh, gives a, a, a number of resources in terms of help that, that they can obtain immediately. Uh, we've guided them through the unemployment insurance uh, process. Uh, we can offer them part-time employment or temporary employment, but also looking forward if they're looking to change careers, training in, in, for the longer term. But more importantly, we also are able to support them in terms of crisis issues such as rent and mortgage, uh, utility assistance. There are discount programs like in the city of Tucson uh, for water. But the other part of it is in many, in many cases, it's that human contact. And so in terms of, of, of our community needs, we wanted to let people know that we're there to help. And you also have information about uh, business resources, because obviously it's not only the individual that's losing a job, but businesses are also hurting in this uh, dramatic situation. Yes, very much so. And uh, we have uh, our business services team that is, uh, when there's a dislocation, that we can connect with that employer, uh, work with uh, with those employees. Uh, We can do that on site. It's getting a little different now because of not... uh, congregating or having social distance, but the, uh, we can do that, uh, you know, through through uh, video conferencing or, or, or having them come in individually 
and work with us. But we have a business services team that responds to, to our employers and the community. And then we have a, a, a bank of people that are supporting uh, on this hotline, those calls that are coming in every day. Can you explain the changes to unemployment benefits in terms of uh, what you need to do to qualify? Yes, you know, uh, before there was, you know, there was a waiting period uh, of one week, you know, and uh, before you, oh. you could begin to receive benefits. Uh, but the other thing that changed was that you had to be actively seeking employment. Uh, and that and that was and that that's been changed in terms of this crisis so that people are helped more immediately. How do people claim benefits and how much will they receive and how long will the money last? For the state of Arizona, it's $240 maximum per week. Um, the, the, I think the extension period has gone, I think, up from 24 weeks up to 39 weeks uh, that they, they, could, they could draw unemployment. And it's fluid because of the situation. And, uh, you know, there's, there's been a lot of movement through Congress trying to address it. Uh, and hopefully it's, it's more short term than, than long term. But, but um, there's, there's a lot of emphasis on making sure people are secure and can be helped through this. And one top question for many people who have recently become unemployed is how soon can they expect to start receiving those funds? The state, as they, as they process this, uh, and, and exponentially uh, it shifted from 3,000 to 130,000 a week asking for those benefits, that's gonna vary. And, and, uh, and as systems uh, do not break down or are not overwhelmed, uh, it, it's gonna vary. What is the county doing to try to uh, slow the spread of coronavirus? Uh, any special endeavors you're taking yourself and other coworkers? Uh, yes, you know, you know, we we follow the the CDC guidelines uh, in terms of, of the social distancing uh, of people. We have maintained our facilities open, uh, and we have kind of the measurements for people to be at a distance. Um, we work in, in, for example, in our lobby area that it would include up to ten people, including the people that that are that are helping. A lot of applications now happen online, and we have a computer lab here that people can can access. But we we've limited to every other computer uh, for use to keep that distance. Being very careful about the hygiene and cleaning regularly. That was Arnold Palacios, the community services director for Pima County, and that's the buzz for this week. You can find links to all the information discussed on today's show on our website, along with continued reporting on the pandemic from the AZPM news team. Ariana Brocious is the show's producer and editor. Vanessa Ontiveros is our production assistant. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. Duncan Moon is the interim news director. And our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.